Amen. If you would, please take your copy of God's Word and turn within it to 2 Timothy chapter 2, verses 8 through 13. And there we are going to look at a character that continues, character that continues. Now the reality is endurance and motivation are determined by any number of factors. And some of those factors are positive and some of those factors are negative. Endurance and motivation are, are determined by all sorts of different parts, partly because of what we desire to have or to obtain, and partly because of what we desire to avoid. And so as we come this morning, I want to begin by, by telling you a story about, from Reader's Digest. I mean, that is the greatest story example ever, right? I mean, it just love Reader's Digest with all the quips and quotes. One story was written in Reader's Digest this way. A man who went to the pastor seeking advice said, Pastor, I'm so depressed. I'm nearly 300 pounds. I can't lose any weight. I can't get any dates. And the pastor said, I tell you what, tomorrow morning at 8 a.m. sharp, I want you to be ready and ready to run. And I will be there at 8 a.m. sharp. The next morning, there's a knock on the door. A lady is standing there in in a jogging outfit. And a beautiful lady looks at him and says, I tell you what, the pastor told me to come by and tell you, if you can catch me, you can have me. And she takes off running. For the next five months, every day, that lady came by the house and knocked on the door and he would chase after her. 115 pounds later, he was sure and certain that the next day he was going to be able to catch that lady as she ran away from him. But the next morning, there was a knock on the door. He swung the door open wide, ready to run after her and to catch her. And there was a 300-pound lady standing in front of him saying, Listen, the pastor sent me by and he said, If I could catch you... I could have you. (laughs) Endurance and motivation matters a lot. Sometimes we are motivated to endure suffering and hardship because of what we want to obtain. Sometimes we are motivated to endure hardship because of what we want to avoid. The reality, though, is the Christian life is a marathon. It is not a short race. It is not a hundred yard dash. It is a marathon where we are running for the long haul. It matters not just what is said today, not just what is said right here, right now. It matters what is done over the lifetime. For indeed, those who endure will finish the marathon and those who endure in the faith of, in the faith and faithfulness to Jesus Christ will endure Not just for this lifetime, but for all of eternity. Indeed, every Christian wants to be able to say with the Apostle Paul there in 2 Timothy chapter 4, verse 7, I have fought the good fight. I have finished the course. I have kept the faith. That's the desire of all of our hearts. But the reality is that indeed it is difficult to walk through hardship. It is difficult when your ministry is under fire, when difficulties are going on. And so while God promises that He will keep all that He saves, the process is not automatic, for indeed that there are many who fall away. But true faith is displayed in those who endure to the end, faithful to the Lord. 
Paul is exhorting Timothy in this passage to embrace hardship for the sake of the gospel. Timothy was under under pressure to compromise the gospel, to compromise his ministry. His timid personality caused him to shy away from any conflict and controversy. Many were turning against the imprisoned apostle. Many were turning against his son in the faith who was pastoring at Ephesus. Many were turning away and even abandoning the gospel of Jesus Christ. Paul says to Timothy, listen, Timothy, you persevere. You continue on. You run hard. You stay motivated. You keep focused. Listen, you keep a character that continues even through the darkest of days. Indeed, in this, in this passage, Paul gives three illustrations of how suffering hardship for the gospel now results in eternal glory. First of all, Jesus Christ suffered and died at Calvary, that, and now he has been raised again for, for an eternal glory. Paul himself is imprisoned and facing death, and yet he endures for the sake of God's chosen people so that they may obtain salvation and eternal glory. Third, Paul cites a hymn from the early church in verses 11 through 13 that encourages all of God's children, all of God's people to be faithful, to continue and to see the rewards that come from the reigning and ruling Lord Jesus Christ. Indeed, in these verses, Paul spells out four motivations for enduring to the end of the marathon of the Christian life. First of all, he says to endure hardship, remember Jesus Christ, the risen Savior. Second all, secondly, to endure hardship, remember that God's word is powerful. Thirdly, to re- remember that God's sovereign purpose and salvation will succeed. And fourthly, that God, God's promises are true and trustworthy. Timothy, you want to endure? You want to have character that continues? You want to live out a life that pleases the living God? You endure all things, knowing that this earthly life will result in an eternal glory which cannot pass away. As we come today, We want to have a character that continues even in the midst of hardship. And if we want to do this, then we must be motivated by the commitment that we have to God, His Word, and His kingdom each and every moment. Let's turn in our Bibles and see here in 2 Timothy chapter 2, verses 8 through 13, a character that continues. Let's stand together now in honor of the reading of this, God's holy and inspired Word. 2 Timothy chapter 2, verses 8 through 13. Remember Jesus Christ, risen from the dead, descendant of David, according to my gospel, for which I suffer hardship, even to imprisonment as a criminal. But the word of God is not imprisoned. For this reason, I endure all things for the sake of those who are chosen, so that they also may obtain the salvation which is in Christ Jesus, and with it eternal glory. It is a trustworthy statement, for if we died with him, we will also live with him. If we endure, we also will reign with him. If we deny him, he also will deny us. If we are faithless, he remains faithful, for he cannot deny himself. Timothy, remember Jesus Christ, risen from the dead. Father, 
we do remember Jesus Christ. We remember that glorious gospel that comes to sinners and transforms them into saints. And Lord, this morning we ask for your help as we study your word. Give us wisdom. Give us an understanding. Let your Holy Spirit illuminate these words so that it might write the truth of your commands upon our heart. And Father, that we might ever serve you, love you, be faithful, even in the midst of hardship, even when pains and perplexities of life are great. Lord, let everything that we say and everything we do flow from a heart that loves you and worships you in spirit and in truth. Father, may you lead us and guide us now. And Father, we ask that you would speak, Lord, for your servants are listening. Speak, Lord, for your servants are listening. In Jesus' name, amen. We see here in this passage that when we encounter trials and tribulations, we are to endure all suffering with faithfulness to Christ as we fulfill the Great Commission. When we encounter trials and tribulations within this world, when we go through difficult situations and circumstances, when attacks are flying everywhere, we are to endure all suffering with faithfulness to Christ as we fulfill the Great Commission. Now understand what is the Great Commission. It is where Jesus told his disciples to go into all the nations and evangelize every nation. All people from all over the world take the gospel to the ends of the earth. And those who receive the gospel baptize them in the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit and teach them to obey all things. In other words, you are gifted to make disciples to serve God and to complete the great commission. That's your purpose as a Christian. And here we see Paul says, but listen, Timothy, there are going to be difficult times. There are going to be times where you have to face the rage of others. Paul wants Timothy to realize To realize that nothing of value is ever gained without hard work and suffering. Anybody know that? Anybody experience that? Nothing of value, nothing of lasting value is ever gained without hard work and without suffering. Indeed, what he's saying here is, listen, no pain, no gain. No cross, no crown. Paul saying your motivation is to be faithful to Christ, to serve His kingdom. Indeed, the endeavors of the disciple-making teacher, the dedicated soldier, the disciplined athlete, and the diligent farmer will all face difficulties. But understand, it is worth it because this earthly, earthly, uh, earthly realm will fade and eternal glory will be in view for the rest of eternity. All Christians are indeed God's... Uh, are, Uh, to be strong in the grace that is in Christ Jesus. And if we are going to be faithful to our God in service, we must be committed and be willing to endure and to suffer even hard times here. And so as we come this morning, morning, we are going to see in this passage four motivations for service. Four motivations for service. First of all, the first motivation is the, the, God's, uh, the preeminence of God's Savior. The second is the power of God's Word. The, the third uh, motivation for service is God's purpose to save souls. And finally, God's promises are sure. 
Now there in verse 8, we begin by looking at the fact that God's Son is the Savior. We are faithful because God's Savior is preeminent in our life and in the Christian life. As we endure difficulties and hardships, we are often tempted, like Peter was, to stop looking at Jesus and to let our, our eyes wander away from the one who is over the waves to the waves that might overwhelm us. Don't you ever, do you ever have that temptation? To let your eyes wander away from Christ, to let your affection wander away from Christ, and rather than concentrating on the one who is over the waves, you start con- concentrating on the waves that might overcome you? Indeed, we are tempted to let our faith fizzle and fade because the giants, because there are giants that are launching attacks against us at any given moment, and they seem so overwhelming that there is no possibility that we can overcome them. Some of us are here this morning, and we're, you're perhaps going, "Well, Pastor, you just don't understand. My money is funny. My family is failing. My my kids are in chaos. My ministry is under fire. My my mortgage is falling through." the cracks. Pastor, where am I to go? What am I to do? Well, listen, Timothy writes to Paul and he says, Paul, listen, the church at Ephesus is under fire. We're having difficulties. I don't know what to do. I don't want to stand up. I don't want to stand out. I I don't know what to do. Paul says, you want strength for your ministry? You be convinced of this. Jesus Christ is preeminent over all things. Says Timothy, your service will have greater boldness, greater courage, greater endurance. If in your suffering for the Lord, you remember his preeminent position as Savior of sinners through the gospel. Paul, uh, Timothy, you want to know where to go? You remember Jesus Christ, God in the human flesh, born of a virgin Mary. You remember Jesus Christ, pure and perfect, having kept the law in all respects and without sin in any area. You remember the way he walked in the midst of this wicked and wayward world. Timothy, you want to know where to go? You remember Jesus Christ suffering and dying on the cruel cross as a common criminal, as the justice, the judgment, the wrath of God was poured out in full upon him for the sins of those he came to save. You remember Jesus Christ dead, buried, and buried in the midst of a cold, a cold cave to serve as a grave with a stone rolled over the mouth of it with soldiers placed to guard it. You remember Jesus Christ suffering, dying, being buried. But, but listen, in addition to that, Timothy, you remember Jesus Christ risen in glorious victory. Do you remember Jesus Christ? Remember the disciples. On that Friday, surely it seemed as if everything was falling apart. Where will we go? What will we do? Our Savior, our King, our Messiah has been crucified. All hope had been lost. All seemed to be too overwhelming for the disciples to overcome. There in the ground, the body of the Messiah lay. But on that third morning, you and I call it resurrection morning. On that third morning, the Spirit of God quickened that body, brought it back to life, caused it to roll, caused the stone to be rolled away, and he stepped out in glorious victory. Remember the gospel, Timothy. Remember, indeed, that Jesus Christ has risen again. 
Indeed, we sing that song to remind us of that. Up from the grave he arose with a mighty triumph over his foes. He arose a victor from the dark domain. He lives forever with the saints to reign. He arose, he arose, hallelujah, Christ arose. That's shouting ground, church. I mean, that we should be excited. It should be a whole lot more exciting than, you know, Virginia beating Georgia Tech yesterday. I mean, this is shouting ground. This is something we ought to be excited about. Jesus Christ and his resurrection. Jesus Christ and his victory over sin, death, and hell. Indeed, Jesus Christ and his preeminence over all of creation. Because God has now given him a name that is above every other name. That at the name of Jesus Christ, every knee should bow and every tongue should confess that he is Lord to the glory of God. What a powerful statement. We need to be excited about that. What greater motivation for faithful service to Jesus Christ could there be than to serve the one who conquered sin, death, and hell for us? The one who gave his life, who suffered everything, who suffered the loss of everything for the sake of our souls. What more motivation could there be to endure some difficulty here and now? The application for Timothy and the application for us is why should we worry about what happens to us in the midst of this life? For we are commanded in Scripture not to be anxious about anything, but by by prayer and supplication make all of our requests known to God. Indeed, we have a God. We serve a God who is on His throne. He watches over us each and every moment. He knows our troubles. He knows our sorrows. Jesus is the high priest who was tempted like as we are in all ways, and yet he was without sin. So when we need help, when we need hope, where do we go? We come boldly before the throne of grace in our time of need so that we might find grace, find mercy, and obtain grace through our difficult hours. Indeed, This passage sort of serves as the proverbial passage that uh, I loved how Jerry Clower used to put things. And he put it one way. He said, those cat head biscuits are so good, they'll make a puppy pull a freight train. Verse 8 should make a Christian endure all suffering. It ought to give us the hope. Give us the passion. Give us the power because it is the preeminence of Christ dwelling within us that gives us the hope that we can endure hardship for the sake of the gospel. Indeed, we have a Savior from sin who has conquered Satan, sin, and death by His resurrection and who will return as King of kings and Lord of lords. And to that we say, what is there that can separate us from the love of God which is in Christ Jesus our Lord? Nothing. Absolutely nothing. That's the first motivation for us to be faithful. We are faithful. Why? Because God's Savior is preeminent. Secondly, we are faithful because God's Word is powerful. 
Look there in verse 9. God's word is powerful. I, he says, I suffer hardship. I have endured even imprisonment as a criminal for the sake of the gospel that God has entrusted to me. But the word of God is not in, in prison. See, we are to be faithful because God's word is powerful. Here in this passage, Paul is contrasting his imprisonment for the sake of the gospel with the freedom of God's word, which cannot be manipulated, which cannot be bound by man or his mechanisms. The Greek word here translated imprisonment can refer to a prisoner's chains. But oftentimes criminal implies something even more, something beyond that. For Paul was considered a criminal and treated like one because he had preached the gospel for the salvation of sinners. And at the time Paul is writing this letter to, in 2 Timothy, he is writing from the Mamertine prison under Rome. He's awaiting execution. He knows that execution is coming. Paul was locked up in waiting de- awaiting sure and certain death with shackles securing him. But yet, in the midst of that time, the gospel was free. The word of God was not bound. Paul's skin was bound. Shackles were on his skin. But the scriptures of God, the word of God, was not bound. For God's truth cannot be contained. God's revelation cannot be imprisoned. God's word will succeed in accomplishing that for which he has sent it forth. It will not return void. That's motivation. Because the hope is, even when we are limited in our resources, in our time, in our efforts, God is not limited. What a wonderful hope. What a wonderful peace. For just read the book of Acts and you can see the power of God's word unleashed in the early church. Indeed, the apostles had been arrested on numerous occasions, yet people were still coming to know the Lord. In Acts chapter 4, we see both Peter and John arrested because they were preaching Jesus Christ and the resurrection that brought salvation for sinners. And yet, in the midst of that time, as the priest, the captain of the temple and the Sadducees arrested these men and cast them in to prison, we still see the gospel advancing and going forward and many coming to faith in Christ. Why? Because the word of God is not bound by any human invention. See, when in prison, people were believing the word and the church was increasing even in the midst of human bondage. Governments may choose to ignore. Governments may choose to ban God's word. Governments may attempt to destroy God's word. But listen, God's word will endure because it is his revelation of salvation that has gone out to be the faithful witness to all mankind that there is a savior for sinners and we need to know it and we need to proclaim it because the power is not in what you think or what I think or what I might come up with. The power is in the word of God that is living and sharp, sharper than two, any two edged sword able to pierce to the joint and to the marrow. It's God's word that has the power. John Bunyan knew this. See, John Bunyan wrote his book, Pilgrim's Progress from a Jail Cell. 
from a jail cell there in Bedford, England. Outside of his jail cell, there was a window that looked out, but there was a tall stone wall that was outside of his wall, uh, outside of his jail cell that prevented him from seeing out or anyone else from seeing in. And yet, from time to time, on many days, John Bunyan would go to that window and he would preach the gospel. He would proclaim the truth of God's word and that word would go out of the window through the air, up and over the stone wall and come down and land on hundreds of people who were gathering to hear the Word of God faithfully preached. God's Word was not bound, even though John Bunyan was bound. Indeed, we see and understand that God's word goes forward and it accomplishes the purposes even when we are in positions where our hands are tied because our, uh, our upper management won't let us speak of the gospel or of Jesus Christ. They won't let us talk about our faith. They won't, t- they won't allow us to evangelize or to reach out and share the gospel. And yet, in the midst of those times, let me tell you, God's word is faithful. Pass a copy of God's word on to others. Share a copy of God's Word. Sit down and read a copy of God's Word with those around you. Just see what God will do in the midst of your situation, in the midst of the lives of those that you know best. Indeed, we need to understand God often puts us in difficult trials for the very reason that He wants the power of the gospel to shine through our joy joy in Him in circumstances where the world would only complain. Maybe you are imprisoned in a hospital bed or in a body that is sick and dying. Maybe, indeed, we might be tempted to grumble and to complain. But let me, let me tell you this. If you grumble and complain in the midst of that situation, in the midst of that circumstances, then you're missing the opportunity for the power of the gospel to shine through your life. But if through the pain and through the tears, the joy of the Lord shines forth in the midst of your life, the same powerful gospel that saved your soul and transformed your life might transform and save the, transform the life and save the soul of others around you who are watching. So let me ask you, do you give yourself to believing in the power of God's word? Are you proclaiming God's word throughout your situation, throughout your circumstances? Listen, endure hardship with faithfulness to God as you remember the power of God's word. Indeed, that is a strong motivation. We see, we see, so we've seen that God's savior is preeminent, that God's word is powerful. But thirdly, in verse 10, we are faithful because of God's purpose to save our souls. Because of God's purpose to save our souls. Look there in verse 10. For this reason, I endure all things for the sake of those who are chosen. That word also can be translated elect. So that they also may obtain the salvation which is in Christ Jesus and with it eternal glory. Now, Paul's identification with Jesus Christ and the confidence he had in the Lord's resurrection power caused him to be willing to endure everything for the sake of the elect. Indeed, we are faithful. Why? Because we believe that God's purpose is the salvation of souls and that the way he will accomplish that is through the ministry that he entrusts to you and to me to carry out. Who's responsible for the gospel going forward? Let me try that one more. I mean, I, I know it's Sunday morning. You're, 
you're having a difficult time. Who is responsible for the gospel going forward? Thank you. (laughs) We are. Each and every one of us. We are entrusted with the gospel. We are to take it out. We are to show it and to proclaim it. Indeed, he was willing to endure all things, even death, for the sake of the gospel, to go out to reach those who were chosen of God, those who were elect. Indeed, election is a difficult theological term that some of us have a, have a hard time grasping, but it remains unalterably a part of the scriptures, a part of God's revelation, and a part of the gospel. Clearly, God has directed involvement in those who consecrate their lives to Him. Uh, clearly, God has direct involvement in those lives that are consecrated directly to Him. But just as clearly, each individual is responsible for his or her response to the gospel. And so Timothy, to Timothy, Paul says, listen, the crucial task of believers to extend the gospel to all people is given to you and I. God has ordained for the dissemination of His gospel to go, through, go forward through particular people, you and me. And so my question to you is naturally. Who is it that you have shared with this week? If we really believe this is God's word, if we're convinced and convicted that this word reveals exactly what the gospel says and how God has intended for his salvation plan to be worked out upon the earth. The question comes, if God has chosen us to be the disseminators of the gospel, who is it that I've shared the gospel with this week? Am I looking for opportunities in doorways? Do I even know the gospel? Could I present it if I were given the opportunity? Paul loves his fellow brothers in Israel so much, his fellow Jews. He says in Romans chapter 9 verse 3, I wish I was accursed for the sake of your souls so that I would become cursed and you would become saved. Do you love anybody that much? Is that how your life works? That you would give up everything, even your life, so that others might be saved? Paul's emphasis is that he is willing to give up everything for the sake of the salvation of others. It's not just the preaching, but also the resultant suffering, which are the means of the elect salvation. Of course, his suffering has... His sufferings have no redemptive efficacy for the people who believe. He is just suffering in the, in the course of carrying the gospel to them. Christ's suffering is alone sufficient for the salvation of all sinners. But listen, our suffering is participating in the glory of God. And so if you want someone to know Christ, what do you need to do? Share the gospel. Share the gospel. Get on your horse. Get out of your house. Go down the street and share the gospel. You want, that's exactly why we have all of the ministries that we have. Divorce care, ministering to those are hurting, who are hurting and distressed, wondering what in the world can I do? Where can I go? You can come to the knowledge of Jesus Christ as your Savior and Lord. That's exactly why Corey's going to start here in a few months or a few weeks to a few months. He's going to start up a program that that is called Celebrate Recovery, that is about, listen, bringing yourself under the Lordship of Jesus Christ, submitting every area fully to Him and to Him alone. 
Because every ministry, every part of the church, every individual piece of the church and person in the church is responsible with ministering the gospel of Jesus Christ. Let me ask you, how are you doing? You participating in those ministries in those areas? See, we endure suffering and are faithful in ministry because God's purpose is to save the soul of sinners. And who am I? I'm a sinner that needs a Savior, just like everyone else. I'm a sinner that needs a Savior, just like everyone else. See, you may be the tool that God has ordained to save the soul of a, of a fellow sinner. And so we need to know the gospel. We need to love the gospel. We need to live the gospel. And we need to tell the gospel. If we fall down in any one of those areas, we are a broken link in the chain of the transmission of Jesus Christ's gospel to the world. Finally, this morning in verses 11 through 13, we see that we are faithful Because God's promises are sure. We are faithful because God's promises are sure. He says, for if we died with him, we will also live with him. If we endure, we will also reign with him. If we deny him, he will also deny us. If we are faithless, he remains faithful, for he cannot deny himself. Now, Paul shares a trustworthy statement that is worthy of full acceptance. In other words, this is probably a hymn that is adapted from a common confession that all of Christianity would have made during this time. These are hymns. These are something that would have been sung, something that would have been known, something that would have been received as gospel truth. And so here we see in this passage a a set of couplets. First of all, there are two couplets with a positive reaction between God and those who receive his promises. The second is a negative reaction between God and those who are under his promises. Paul first resounded the Christian doctrine of life and death. If we died with him, then we also will live with him. These words strike a chord. They bring us back. They draw our attention to Jesus when he says in John chapter 12 verses 24 and 25 unless a kernel of wheat falls to the ground and dies, it remains only a single seed. The man who loves his life will lose it, while the man who hates his life in this world will keep it to eternal life. Guys, there's a very clear principle in Scripture. If you're not willing to suffer and to die for the sake of the gospel, then you have not received the gospel. You must be willing to surrender all. Not a piece, not a part, not a portion of your life. All of your life. And until you're willing to lay down everything, God says salvation is not yours. Jesus put it this way. Anyone who desires to come after me must what? Deny himself, take up his cross, and follow me. Follow after what I want. Follow after the desires of my heart. Follow after all those things that I want to gain in this world. No, must follow after Christ and His desires. 
See, when we identify with Christ through abiding trust, we die to sin. We die to the world. We die to ourselves. And so 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 17 becomes known within the context of our life. For if anyone is in Christ, he is what? A new creation, a new creature. All things, the old things have passed away. Behold, all things have been made new. Do you have that life living in you? See, God raises us to a new life as part of his wonderful work of regeneration. But Paul also recognized that the glory of our resurrection comes in the future. We have yet to realize it fully, but it is coming. And the eternal glory is worth the suffering that we might know within this life, even if we are pressed to the point of death. The second couplet provides a slightly different slant on the contrast between the difficulties of life now and the rewards that are yet to come. If we endure, then we also will reign with him. Now listen, Christianity in the Western culture has become something of an abomination to what biblical Christianity reveals. See, Western Christianity has adopted one of the most damaging values to true Christian faith, the pursuit of comfort and ease. We would rather be comfortable and complacent and confined to our four walls than to get out and to work in the fields for the harvest of the gospel. Listen, that is not biblical Christianity. He says, if we endure, we will also reign with him. It's not a life of comfort and ease. For Christ is frequently presented as the answer to our problems and our fulfillment and the fulfillment of all of our needs in Western Christianity. But it's never mentioned that indeed he says that in the midst of this world, we will have tribulations and we will suffer for for the student is not greater than the master. See, Paul understood the Christian life as one of continual struggle, continual suffering, continual hardship to bring glory to Christ. Understand, what is the chief end of man? What is it? To glorify God and to enjoy Him forever. That's the chief end of man. What are you living for? The glory of yourself, the glory of your kingdom, the glory of your stuff, the stuff that you won't even know what happens to it when you go in the ground? Or are you living for the glory of God's eternal kingdom? See, Christ brings to the believer the supernatural ability to persist, to endure, and to respond with joy and thanksgiving even in the midst of suffering. And he closes out with two more couplets where he, changes, where he changes the focus and he recalls for them the reality that if we do not follow Christ, if we do not, are not willing to confess Him, to take up our cross and follow Him, if we deny Him, then He also will deny us. If we are faithless, He remains faithful and He will not and cannot deny His testimony. See, in this passage, He recalls the words of Jesus over in Matthew chapter 13 or Matthew chapter 10 verses 30 and 32 and 33 and listen to what Jesus says in Matthew 10 32 and 33 therefore everyone who confesses me before men I will also confess him before my father who is in heaven whoever denies me before men I will also deny him before my father who is in heaven guys I don't want to say it, but I've got to say it. 
The church of Jesus Christ in our culture is in dangerous peril. And it's in dangerous peril because we have a lot of people who will accept Christ when they're inside the facility of safety and certainty, but will deny Christ by how they live their lives Monday through Saturday outside of these doors. Sad. It's hard. But we need to understand there are two promises in John chapter 3. John chapter 3, verse 16, what does that, how does that passage begin? For God so loved the world that He did what? That He gave His only begotten Son. Only begotten Son. He gave His Son to suffer and die under the, under the penalty of sin so that those who would repent of their sins and place faith in Him would receive eternal life. That's the great news. But John chapter 3 verse 18 gives us the bad news. And there it says, he who believes in him is he who believes in him will not be judged, but he who does not believe in him, Jesus Christ has been judged already because he has not believed in the name of the only begotten son of God. See, here's the dirty little secret about western Christianity. We like to confess Christ when we're in safe and comfortable places with those who are like-minded, but we don't dare do it in our jobs, in our homes, in our schools, in the places where we spend most of our time. God has given us a great commission. Today, He set before us two paths, life and death, two choices, receive Christ by faith or reject Him in unbelief, two destinies, heaven or hell. And the reality is what you do with Jesus Christ, His person, His work, His atoning sacrifice on the cross of Calvary and His glorious resurrection, decide where you will be for the rest of eternity. I plead with you this morning. Believe in Christ. Trust in Christ. Be willing to confess Him before man so that He does not deny you before His Father. Be willing to walk in a life of faith with motivation that flows from knowing the preeminence of God's Son, from knowing the power of God's Word. Be willing to walk. Be willing to be faithful. Because God's purpose is to save souls through your ministry. Be willing to follow Christ and be faithful even in suffering. Because God's promises are sure. Those who receive Christ will have everlasting life. Those who reject Him will perish in eternal hell. Father, don't let us for one moment joke or mock or make fun of this reality. Let us understand it. Let us take it to heart. Father, let us surrender ourselves and our sinful nature to you. Father, you have already provided the way of salvation in Jesus Christ. For you so loved the world that you gave your only begotten son, that whosoever believed in him 
might not perish but have everlasting life. Lord, today I pray that each and every person that hears this message that is sitting here this morning, Father, has made the decision to surrender their life to you. But if they haven't, if there's one, Lord, let this be the day of salvation. Don't let them wait another moment. Don't let them live in uncertainty. Let them live in a calm, cool, collected assurance that Jesus is Lord of their life. Father, for those of us who are believers, let us be willing to suffer for the sake of your gospel. Let us be willing to surrender everything to you and to you alone and to make much of you throughout this world. Let us be people who are convinced and convicted that indeed your word is powerful. That your mission is to save souls. And that we, your promises are sure, and that we have been given the message, the mission of proclaiming the gospel to all of the nations. Lord, lead us and guide us in this time. Direct our thoughts and intentions. Let us commit ourselves unreservedly to you. In Christ's name, amen. Let's stand together now as we sing our hymn of invitation.